The Guardian. Hello, it's Music Weekly. I'm Kieran Yates. And I'm Michael Han. This week, we're signing off for Christmas with our choices for Song of the Year, welcoming our special studio guest, Justin Young from The Vaccines, and generally trying to get to the bottom of what kind of musical year 2012 turned out to be. All here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. This week, Alexis is ill, but we have Justin Young from The Vaccines. Hello. Welcome. How's it going? <laughs> and Michael Han, hello. Indeed, uh, Alexis is laid up with some kind of appalling flu bug, which the doctors told him may keep him in his bed for 10 days. Oh. But of course, you can still communicate via, with him via Twitter, as you always can with Alexis. <laughs> he loves to hear from you. Um, I was just hearing that you and Justin have been on a rock and roll lunch together. It wasn't really rock and roll. I mean, there was coke involved. I had diet and you had the normal full fat stuff. But that was about the extent of it, really. (laughs) But as I say, Michael is like the don of the rock and roll story this year, having interviewed pretty much everyone of note. Well, it has been been my year of classic rock. I've no more ambitions left, having interviewed Dave Lee Roth, ZZ Top. Led Zeppelin. I lose, there's so many of them, I lose track. <laughs> what a year. <laughs> Let's have a look at the news this week. One of the main stories was about Kesha's Die Young being dropped from US radio stations in the wake of the Newtown shootings. What are your thoughts on this, Michael? Well, I see why they do it, but it always gets a bit comical, doesn't it? You know, it's, yeah. as, if anyone, as if even the most sensitive person is going to think, oh, yeah. Yeah, that song is about the death of my children, and mm-hmm. she is laughing at them. Although I've always found it funny, the, the story about Lawrence from Felt, when his group Denim released the song Summer Smash, which he says was pulled from radio in the wake of the Princess Diana car crash. And if it hadn't been, he would have become a global superstar, <laughs> which has always sounded like wishful thinking to me from Lawrence. Two tragedies. Did you see that she wrote a, a tweet agreeing with why it, was, why it had come off the radio, and then it got deleted. Oh. No. Yeah. Oh. So she wrote a tweet saying, I completely understand. She said, I was forced to sing those lyrics. I didn't want to originally. I completely understand why it's coming off, and my heart goes out to everyone that's been affected. Uh, and then the tweet was deleted. Oh, well, maybe that was because of the forced to sing those lyrics. I thought Perhaps. she's always started <laughs> yeah. fiercely independent yeah. and full of self well, I think she does. I think she, I think she writes her own stuff. Yeah, but it was weird. So she, the, the tweet was d- deleted. Hmm... <laughs> Your hip hop acts tend not to bother with that kind of uh, yeah sensitivity, you know I mean? do they? Put it out there, listen to it. There you go. There you go. Done. <laughs> <laughs> um, other news is that the Stones finally finished their fiftieth anniversary gigs in New York. I think you might be the only person who wasn't invited to play with them at any of their fiftieth anniversary shows. I know. You, I know. I'm still still quite offended. <laughs> 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 and I think did Black Keys support them? Did they? I think yeah. they did. They yeah. were there in, in yeah. uh, New York, weren't they? I mean, it's an awfully long time, 50 years. How long ahead do you think in terms of, for the vaccines? Five months. I think we've <laughs> definitely got the next five months. <laughs> Past then, I can't really say. They'll be doing it as long as there's money to be made. Did yeah. you see that clip of uh, Mick Jagger on Letterman doing the 10 things I've learnt? with excruciating comic timing. 
You know, <laughs> you've never seen a man more obviously reading from an auto cue. <laughs> you'd think after 50 years in the business, he would actually have some spontaneity about him. Presumably, he does his gigs with an auto cue now as well. <laughs> well, a lot of them do, don't they? Springsteen yeah. has an yeah, auto cue. Does. But then I guess when you're it's one of his monitors. Yeah. But when you're playing for three and a half hours a night, that's kind of understandable. And isn't it? when yeah. the when the set will change from night yeah. to night as well, and songs will be introduced at the drop of a hat. But yeah, he must get through the same amount of words as appear in War and Peace on the average show. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any desire to go any to go to any of the gigs? I don't. I'm, mass, I'm a massive Stones fan, and I actually really love um, the new single as well, Doom and Gloom. I thought I think mm-hmm. that's a great, great song. Um, like genuinely excited me. Well, I'm with you. I think those yeah. two new songs are actually. I've only heard. Good. I've only heard Doom and Gloom. Right. Um, but I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. It's Jeff Basker who did, uh, who's Kanye's guy, and uh, brought a bit of modernity to it. I, 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 I thought, think it's a great song. <laughs> Well, let's chat a bit about uh, your 2012 then, Justin. What have been your highlights of the year with the vaccines? I think sort of playing Reading on the main stage was, was really affirming, especially as we'd been there the year before. And that, that sort of the, the gig in the, tent in, two, in, in, in the tent in 2011 felt in itself quite affirming after all the hype and will they, won't they be as big as some people think they should be and 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 so to go back on the main stage and to walk out and it was you know we were aware that it was a pretty big step up and that really it was pretty early on to be playing third on on the bill of a, a major festival but to walk out and uh, in reading and leeds to see the the field swamped i think was just like it was an incredible feeling i don't think this one will ever forget and it sort of felt wow maybe we do deserve to be here and i think had we walked out and the the field had been half empty, then maybe we would have thought, "Ah, oh, someone's made a mistake here." But it felt just felt amazing. And then doing Alexandra Palace sort of a couple of weeks ago, and getting getting the, the response we 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 got as well in in a room that I guess would not would normally attract people that aren't necessarily you know your biggest fans. You'll always get kind of indifferent people and stuff. But to, it felt like a really euphoric gig. And I think those two gigs have been... And then obviously getting a number one record. I mean, two years ago, I didn't think I'd ever be lucky enough to even make an album. So to make one and for it to go to number one, it was mind-blowing. I don't really care about anybody else when I haven't got my own life figured out. Cos when you're young, I'm born in 24 and don't know you, I know, but there's no open inside to come on. When we spoke in the summer, um, we talked a little bit about you know, kind of your discomfort with the rise of the vaccines around and before the first album, and kind of the sudden focus of attention on you. Has that become something you got much, much more used to and more comfortable with? I think maybe we've become and I've become sort of accepting of the sort of position we find ourselves in. And I don't know if it's something that I, sp- I can't really remember if I spoke to you about it in the summer, but... It's sort of not something either that affects my day-to-day life, really. If I go buy a can of Coke or I go to the cinema, I'm not famous, so no one really knows who I am. So I, I can actually like walk away and I sometimes forget. Like When we're not on tour, I forget that I'm in a band that people care about. And it's weird. So I, it's actually quite nice that I'm in a position where I feel like I can walk away. And yeah, I think maybe I have become accepting of it. I don't really know. It's still quite hard for me to sort of, yeah. Okay, Kieran, I'm going to quiz you here. We were talking at lunch about um, the vaccine's immediately forthcoming plans, which involves going to Australia for festivals in various places, then flying to Asia. A number of flights, all of which seem to be very long. Mm -hmm. How do you think they travel? Plane. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First class, obviously. First class, right? Obviously, and I'm obviously we're millionaires as well, right? Right. Yeah. Obviously. Is that is that, is that not, that's what I get from indie bands at the moment? <laughs> is that not <laughs> the guitar band? Is... I was shot. Economy. Really? Afraid oh. so. Afraid so. Justin. Well, the rest of the band. Justin. Yeah. <laughs> there was uh, some speculation about which bands do travel um, in mm. very nice, comfortable seats, but probably wouldn't be politic to kind well, of I, name I thought, I thought it was ca- more of an like I thought it was more of a kind of urban thing. So I heard that I heard that Endubs when even when they were recording their their first record would be picked up and dropped off in sort of blacked out uh Mercedes and stuff like that because it's all about it's all That's about it's the end of, keeping so. up keeping up appearances or just you know hiding from the haters perhaps. maybe hide it bulletproof <laughs> okay you you you, so, know, you know the urban act yeah well that's what I was going to say because obviously I was on a plane with JLS earlier in the year to Liverpool from yeah. London to Liverpool so I guess was it their own plane I guess it was an easy jet plane so it wasn't like the Ri- it wasn't jet. like Rihanna wasn't like no it wasn't like Rihanna's yeah. plane. But is it just you that flies economy? Because you were saying that the rest of your band members are currently holidaying at the They're moment. They're all holidaying. No, yeah, the, in London. I think they. Um, I think they all took uh, economy tickets. Oh, to, keep it so real. Uh, but yeah. you're the only person who hasn't been bumped up while on tour at some. I know point, everyone at some point has been bumped up, and I haven't been. <laughs> and I guess I. I guess I could. I, I at times suffer from lead singer syndrome, so I could have pulled a kind of power play and said maybe we should swap tickets mr lighting guy but i never did but maybe you can get other perks like get them to play your album for the full 14 hours or something yeah exactly can you just pump your whole discography yeah exactly The other day, I was a, foot, a Premiership footballer asked me, "Would I rather play a gig at Wembley or play a football match at Wembley?" To which I said, "I'd rather, I'd rather play a football match. Like I'd rather be in a kind of World Cup final or something like that." And he said, "I don't understand that." And then we went through it, and he said, "But musicians earn so much more than footballers, don't they?" <laughs> 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 I like that people genuinely think we must be millionaires. <laughs> now, there's one thing I do want to ask you about, which is the divisiveness yeah. of the vaccines. I mean, you have your fanatical fans, and yet you're one of the groups, I, I don't know, maybe it's that the internet amplifies yeah. all this, but people do come out and hate you in the way that yeah. there are some bands that do, and Mumford and Sons, yeah. I guess, yeah. have the same kind of thing. Um, maybe Florence. I mean, you're not a band that seems to pass people by. People have strong opinions well, about I think, you. I think, I think the internet does amplify that sort of thing. But then also I think I'm really, it really excites me that we kind of invoke passion, a bit negative or positive. It's always been about the music. It was never about this identity we'd created or, you know, like, oh, did you see that that weird video? Or I wonder who they are. It's all, it was always about the music. They're a good band. They're not a good band. That really excites me. I think... I also think it's, I think people slightly misunderstand the vaccines. I think they sort of put us up against bands that perhaps we wouldn't necessarily put ourselves up against. Like, 
I see us having a lot more in common with Status Quo than I do with Grizzly Bear. Like, I don't think we're an indie band. And I've I've, I've been saying that pretty much from, from word go. And I think that perhaps indie fans don't think we're a very good indie band, but I, whatever that word means. But I, 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 I genuinely, I think it's because people misunderstand us slightly. And I think that we maybe don't exist in a world that actually we don't want to exist in anyway. Does that, does that make does that make mm. sense? No, I, yeah, I, I see what you mean. But people, yeah, I think undoubtedly perceived yeah. you when you came through as coming out of an indie tradition. They expected you to be to do with the Strokes, say. Yeah. Whereas you know, the the, the passions that you talked about to me in the summer were, were rock music, yeah. very definitely. And you know, getting Ethan Johns to produce the album, yeah. that's, that's a, a rock music thing to do. Although I'm very disappointed that you're not wearing double denim today. I lost my I lost my <laughs> denim jacket. <laughs> 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 no, but I think you know. I think that we do. I think there are that we have. We like a lot of indie music, and I think that's about where the, where it stops. Really, I don't think we've. I think if you come out and you sign to a major label off the back of one single, and you tell people you want to be a massive band and play all around the world to as many people as possible, then you're kind of making your aims pretty clear. Singles Club has been upgraded this week to the lofty status of Song of the Year, where we've all brought in our Songs of the Year. First up, it's my choice. That was Tonight with Buggin. And tonight is Hudson Mohawk and Leonis. That's my track of the year. Why? Brilliant. So good. <laughs> Neither of you are really excited well, about I like, this. Like, we, uh, we actually, we actually just, we, I have to say, we did just have a quick conversation about this off air, where I, where I think we both agreed we quite liked it, but, but I didn't understand perhaps why it was your track of the year, because I, I couldn't really, why well, didn't we understand mm-hmm. it as a, as a mm-hmm. as sort of emotionally, as a, as a song, really? I, I couldn't really, yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, I picked this just because to me, it sounds so representative of how rap has sounded this year. At every kind of hip hop gig, at every big rap gig, this has been the song that's been you know, been played, has been sampled hugely. As soon as you hear that, that is kind of opening, clanging, you know, opaque beats, you're like, yes, okay, it's bugging, you know, it's tonight. It was a really, really hugely anticipated EP, the Tonight EP with uh, Hudson and Lunas. And I think that it's just, you know, within that vein of trap, even though they don't really associate themselves with the sound and and kind of rap and the, and the hardness of how hip-hop beats have been this year. And I think it really sums that up well. So, uh, something so that, is this something for the clubs rather than to listen to at home? You well, go home from work, it's been a long day, you put your beans on toast on, I know, I want to hear <laughs> Buggin' by tonight. Yeah, totally. Well, I like it. I would definitely listen to it for those purposes. Because it's just, it's, I mean, it is a club track, but it's still full of tension and, you know, those cartoonish 
sort of in it almost sounds like the toaster and... popping and the cutlery coming out of there like <laughs> exactly <laughs> and there's something great about you know a whole club just going crazy about something that is quite warped and there's you know there's no vocals in it yeah and it is stripped and you know they had these like gloopy cartoonish sounds and tweaks and you know that's what i really love about it i love that it can be how do really, people really move strange. to it do they sway yeah just, just sway yeah. yeah just let the rhythm take over nice. justin <laughs> and somewhere i was reading that the tonight project it's more it's less um a kind of a record by a group than a show reel because mm-hmm. hudson mohawk and lenice fancy themselves as doing production work for the big hip-hop acts is that right yeah absolutely i saw them um in june at village underground and just as you know as a stage so the performance is brilliant because hudson mohawk is a sort of typical producer in that he's you know sort of craned over his mpc or whatever and lunas is this huge personality and highly theatrical and he's like jumping around and you know creating lots of energy so what does he do apart from jump around yeah, and if, if it's well, all he's, instrumental he's well he's he raps usually oh he does rap yeah, okay yeah. okay yeah of course and it's all against a backdrop of Lindsay lohan uh, and have, have they been able to pick up production jobs with big well, yeah. acts on the back of this yeah they've they've produced well, I can't think of any examples now, but they've produced lots of kind of hip-hop instrumentals and hip-hop tracks throughout the year. This has been sampled massively. The EP was, you know, a really big deal in the the hip-hop circles. Who sampled it? This was, well, because this year has been so kind of trap-heavy, there's been kind of Flostradamus, who's kind of a trap producer and that's a great name Flostradamus, because he's (laughs) Flossier and Gucci Mane has done a sample of it and uh, there was kind of a, a Rick Ross sample that was used with this as well. I mean, yeah, it's all around. I saw quite a, I saw quite a reputable DJ play earlier this year from side of stage on his Mac, DJing with his right hand in the air and his left hand um, moving the brightness settings up and down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, because yeah. the, the, there have been one or two news stories this year about... Uh, about well-known acts accused of being... Uh, Calvin Harris was accused of that by... the Well, not accused. Calvin, Calvin Harris was quoted as saying he did that by the BBC, and then Calvin Harris said, no, I absolutely didn't say that. But then the BBC said, no, you absolutely did say that. I'm not sure where it's progressed from there, whether Calvin has called in my learned friends or well, not. Well, he's certainly not the only one. There you go. Mm. Yeah. That's If indeed that's what he does, Justin, let's yeah. make that absolutely plain <laughs> to any lawyers listening. Um, but as generally, did you like it or not? Would you listen again? No, I did like it. I just, I, I just didn't sort of connect with it on right. an emotional level. But then I suppose it doesn't evoke to me what it's obviously summed up your year, which I can now understand. But I couldn't sort of as a standalone track. But I did, I did like it. Yeah. Next up is Justin's choice. That was Melody's Echo Chamber with I Follow You. Justin, tell us about that. I was thinking what to choose, because I don't listen to sort of uh, 
stupid amounts of new music but that's sort of one song that really sort of captured me i heard it at a moment where sort of it really resonated with me lyrically and then i think sonically as well i'm a, a mass a massive fan of kevin parker from tame impala who produced that that record mm. and uh melodically as well i just think it's so lush the way it moves particularly the the, the chorus it's just it's a song the first day i heard it i lis- i literally listened to it for i literally mm-hmm. <laughs> listened to it for s- sort of six hours straight and and have continued to do so ever ever since i, I think it's a fantastic track from a great record as well yeah, th- this album has been sitting on my dining table for two months and i hadn't listened to it and i really must rectify that i thought that was fantastic but the kevin parker thing is really interesting i mean i wonder I wonder what Melody Prochet would have sounded like without Kevin I of, I Well, I re- you know, I often think that. I mean, I imagine them as sort of acoustic demos or piano demos or something like that because it's got him all over it. But you can't, there's no denying this, you know, the melody and the way it moves, I, I think. But he has had this extraordinary year because as well as the Tame Impala album, there's mm-hmm. the Melody's Echo Chamber album. He also produced the Pond album, which although recorded in 2010, only came out this year. And it's it's as if he's coordinated all his efforts into a one-man psychedelic revival for 2012. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you think he is an authentic genius, Kevin Parker? I do. Uh, I mean, he I mean, he plays everything as as, as well on the on the Tame Impala records, which is the, the the musicianship on them is fantastic. And I do. I think he's amazing. And I was actually I was thinking about guitar bands that sound mm-hmm. sort of relevant and current. And I think sort of he, he, the music he's making whilst it's referential and revivalist it sounds like it's being made for 2012 2013 and there are not many people that are doing that at the moment i mean that's uh, when alexis petridis reviewed the tame impala album in the guardian i mean he was making pretty well exactly that point saying it's a psychedelic album that's clearly psychedelic yet does not sound like it would have been made before 2012 it's all his own head and uh, what's interesting i think is actually the way I think he has developed. I mean, I know that Lonerism isn't a huge step on from Inner Speaker, but I went to see Tame Impala um, before Inner Speaker came out, and I kind of enjoyed it, but a part of me was thinking, well, actually, you know, this is... It's that point in 1968 when uh, psychedelic bands started playing the heavy blues, you know, maybe a bit cream, maybe a bit... But... I, I think I was wrong. I think there is actually well, far, first, far more to I think to that first that. EP was a lot, there was a lot more of that on there. And I do think it has moved forward. It does sound sort of, yeah, it does sound very, very current and it's exciting. And, and what did it do for you, Kieran? I thought it was interesting about what you were talking about, Tame Impala having such a great year because they played at Brixton Academy and I was doing Vox Pops there. And I was talking to the crowd and the crowd was queuing for about three or four hours um, in advance and I was talking to them most of them were sort of my age mid 20s uh, young people like really young really excited and ex- and really what I got from talking to the people that were queuing were just like oh my god it's this kind of resurgence of psychedelia and it's done in a really interesting way and it's completely listenable and it's completely accessible well I think that his his way with you know mm-hmm. his the, his the, what, his way with melody makes it so mm-hmm. it's so accessible and so listenable I think you know, they'd be a lot harder to listen to if he wasn't so good with melody. I mean, underneath it all is pop music in the purest sense of the mm-hmm. word, word. And that's it? what I liked about this track was that although 
<clears throat> there's definitely the presence of psychedelia there. It still sounds very washed out. It doesn't feel like, you know, they're kind of hammering the point home. No, it's it feels easy like to it's, find. Exactly. Think, yeah. It's this very delicate, very subtle. It's not saying, here's a resurgence of a sound, now we're going to really like do the sound in the most obvious way possible. And like, this is here and this is here to stay. And here are the tropes and we're just going to, you know, copy and paste all the tropes. So we know that it's a trend because four or five different people are doing it. Yeah. I think it just sounds very subtle, but, you know, very present. And I think that that's what good trends do really I, I interviewed everything everything last week here in indie band we were talking we talked a little bit about this we talked about the idea of the guitar band and you know whether it ever went away and they you know and they were saying you know no, it's it's definitely hasn't gone away but what it's it's kind of evolved into a different strand or a different has, kind of sound has, yeah. glam yeah. went glam went away but guitar music didn't you know mm-hmm. like punk rock went away but guitar music didn't i think it's it's if people are looking for like a return of kind of the mid noughties chart supremacy of straight up indie rock i don't think they're gonna get that <laughs> I th- and I th- it feels like there's a sort of desperation for that at the moment but i don't think that's gonna happen because i think people's tastes and people's aims artistically are, are moving with the times as, as, as you'd expect them to it from sort of creative people you know Finally, here's Michael's choice. Beards at the ready, please. A 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. A 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. That was ZZ Top with I Got To Get Paid. I love that song so much. Um, I love it. It's amazing. I I have a kind of ZZ Top gene in me, you know. Tres Ombres by ZZ Top from 73 is one of my favorite albums, but... I've never been a fanatic, but I was excited when I got a press release on holiday this year in Spain, ZZ Top to release first new album in nine years. And for this to be the opening track on it, I think is it's quite extraordinary that this band has been going for 40 years can make something that sounds like themselves, but completely fresh as well. And also, it comes from a most unusual source. It is a kind of cover of sorts of a hip-hop song. That's it's right. 25 Lighters by DJ DMD. Love it, man. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. I got stuck in pay, pay, We got 25 lighters on the dresser, yes, sir. Now, I, I interviewed ZZ Top in the summer, and Billy Gibbons was telling me the story of uh, how it came about, which was... Um, Years ago, they were their own studio was uh, being re- being repaired in some fashion, and they gone to another Houston studio, which had two studios in this building. They were in one, and there was a kind of lounge area in between, and on the far side was another studio, which was used by all the Houston hip hop crews. And they got talking to to all the hip hop crews who were saying, well, "How'd you get the guitar sounds?" And Billy Gibbons, who is a genuinely fascinating man and is intrigued by how records are put together, was asking them how they got the beats. He's absolutely fascinated by, you know, kind of 
process beats. And again, when we were talking, he was talking about Eliminator, you know, that big breakthrough album in the mid-80s. And that was entirely the result of him getting obsessed with the notion of trying to find perfect time, which at that point was impossible for rock bands. So he was investigating all the possibilities of uh, sequencing uh, within the context of a rock band. He wanted a, a, <laughs> he wanted a record that was in perfect time and in perfect tune, which he didn't think had been done by a rock band. But he got Rick Rubin in to produce uh, their comeback album this year, La Futura. And I got to get paid was the last song in the sessions when Billy Gibbons suddenly realised, well, we need another song, what can we do? Hang on, there's that song 25 Lighters I got obsessed with a few years back when, that's, when we were in that studio. And he said it was kind of done as a throwaway. They didn't realise that they'd, they'd stumbled upon something. But, but they have. I mean, what, what I love about it, I think every single sound on that record is amazing, which I think is so rare. I think Billy Gibbons' guitar tone is extraordinary. I mean, his soloing is fantastic, but it's also the dirtiness of the rhythm playing. His voice is this kind of strange, toxic gargle that suits the subject matter so fantastically. And I've been listening to this song kind of more or less obsessively since it came mm. out. Um, and even my nine-year-old son thinks that this is the song of the year, although that's maybe because I haven't played him anything else. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but Kieran, this is this is the rare rock song that you like as well, isn't it? I, I love it. I think it has that quality which I really like about uh, rap as well. Is that it, you know there's a, a real hardness to it. it you know that's the real dirtiness that you mentioned. It just feels like you know it feels cool to listen to. I had it on um, at my place when I was leaving the house this morning, and I was like, oh yeah, so good. Um, and I, just, I think that that kind of that powerful excitement I don't really get from this era of rock especially but I think that that sort of twinning with things that uh, DJ Screw was doing and and that sort of legacy and that relationship works really well and I think that when you hear stuff like this it really deepens my understanding of how those two sounds can work together and actually um, after hearing you talk about it it just seems seamless that they would uh, kind of be connected in some way. Um, and that's that's what we do here at the podcast. Try and open your ears to all these different. It's things. another it's another rock song that sounds like it belongs to 2000. It does, doesn't yeah. it? it does, that's yeah. the thing, and you wouldn't have expected that from men in their no. 60s, to mm-hmm. be honest. I became really after DJing for a while. I became really obsessed with sort of uh, what you know, like speeds and what beats and what mm-hmm. grooves make people dance. And there's a real lack of. I mean, there's a real lack of that in rock music, but but obviously in sort of more urban music and hip hop, I guess that's something they take a lot more time over and that's something they think about and this is a song that as soon as you hear it you want, you want to get up and dance it and makes yeah. something move yeah. doesn't yeah. it regardless yeah. you know also i do recommend if zz top do come over to tour next year and i do hope they do do go and see them i mean <laughs> it's it's a great show even if you get a bit bored with the music it's a great show dusty hill the bassist described it to me as a, a low movement high impact show <laughs> and that's about right there's not a lot of pyro well no pyro there's very little movement from the principles but every single movement is perfectly choreographed that's a band who spend a lot of time thinking about what they do on stage maybe they, they must lot rehearse in front a lot of a lot of rehearsal studios have mirrors mirrored walls so maybe oh, they're I'm sure they do i'm sure yeah. they do I don't, although i'd still love to have seen their worldwide texas tour in 1975-76 when uh they went out on tour with rattlesnakes vultures uh, a couple of head of longhorn cattle <laughs> a buffalo um some skunk pigs um dusty Hill was telling me they had the rattlesnakes in a plexiglass dome on the stage you could put your foot on them like it was a monitor uh, cost $150,000 in medical bills <laughs> for the animals alone. I said to him, God, 
I do pity a tour manager for that. <laughs> he said, yeah, well, in those days, the tour manager had problems enough with us, let alone the animals. <laughs> did they come out for Blow Up Dolls, though, like Odd Future did? They didn't come out with Blow Up Dolls. They had a stage shaped okay. like Texas gear. <laughs> they had eight trucks to transport the gear on, which was a mural. So the trucks had to travel highways in specific order. You know, it's not like, yeah, go when you're ready. It's, no, you've all got to go in convoy, because otherwise it breaks up the scene on the side of the trucks. That's attention to detail. Black, black lips at, um at Coachella this year had an analogue biggie because obviously there was the hologram nice. and they had their analogue bi- the biggie on stage <laughs> them, which was just a, car- a life-size cardboard cutout of biggie smalls <laughs> um, but yeah actually I can, I can see that the ZZ Top feel like a band who are really conscious of how the audience are responding and they and they want it to be this experience of engagement as I saw Hot Chip and Radiohead this year both against my will and I just I really felt like with Radiohead that they were playing this their, their whole set you know they didn't play any of the bangers didn't play any of the bends which is all I knew really um, and it really felt like it was for them you know it was for them to just have this long sort of jam together it was like a, a long session and the people that really loved that set were the super fans and then it was a similar thing with Hot Chip as well I went with uh, the Guardian's Tim Jones who was really upset at how much I was not enjoying the set and I really like it actually when bands are really open with sort of people that might not know hold the whole back catalogue and are just playing tracks for, you know, performance purposes and are really engaged. And I do get that sense. From S- serious like artists this. should always heed the words of the serious artists of serious artists, Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. I'm just a song and dance man. There you go. I, 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 think, I think it's incredibly hard and it's actually an aim of mine to sort of provide art and entertainment in equal measure mm-hmm. because very few people do do both. Love it, mate. Um, so we've kind of touched on these things already, but let's have a little bit of a chat about 2012 in music then. Well, I think one of the interesting things this year has been the state of the festival market. I mean, festivals have kind of defined the British musical summer for probably a decade now. But this year we saw major events dropped. We saw the big chill go. Uh, Sonosphere was cancelled. New events were abandoned, like Wildfest on the Isle of Wight. Other events had to merge to keep the festivals going, so Vintage Festival was folded into the Wilderness Festival. Then there were abandonments like Block, um, the Urban Festival in London. Um, others were hit by the weather, like the Hit Factory Live, I think probably the event we were all most excited about. Um, and old, old Tomorrow's Parties went into voluntary liquidation. Um, it just didn't seem like a terribly good year for the festival industry. Now, Justin, as someone who presumably must spend an awful lot of your summer at festivals I appreciate that you're unlike to go come out and say no they've all got to go I hate them all because a chunk of well, you I can show you there are enough of them left <laughs> <laughs> but I mean does it feel to you like you, you see the same things as you go around every festival because that's one of the big complaints there's nothing unique about so many of the festivals now well, I think I was just listening to some of the festivals you reeled off there and a lot of them I, I would have I would have said were festivals that were trying to do something different. Block Festival looked like something exclusively catering for sort of London graphic designers, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a strange one, really, because I, I don't really know if I'm in a position to comment, really, because I've, I've been to 80 in the last year and a half. Well, that's more than probably everyone else in this building yeah. put together. So actually, you are in a position to comment. <laughs> I think there is a problem with people booking the same bands. I think essentially there are too many festivals and not enough bands. But I guess is is the state of the festival 
not just um, reflective of the state of the country? I, I don't, I don't know really. Yeah, I mean, I, it felt the explosion in festival popularity. Obviously, I think sowed the seeds of its own demise. It was yeah. like you know, kind of mid noughties landfill indie. Once you get that many, inevitably, some are going to have to drop off. And everyone no thinks. I, I mean, everyone thinks they can start a festival. Now yeah, as well. yeah, literally. <laughs> and I mean. I think my favourite is it Lee Fest that uh, a kid, a fifteen-year-old kid called Lee, started in his back garden in southeast <laughs> London, but is now actually an established festival of sorts. It um, doesn't surprise me. But yeah, the thing about the same bands everywhere. I mean, this year I think you had Florence at several different festivals, um, the Foo Fighters and the Kasabian, who always seem to be on at Reading or V. Well, every year there seems to be the the however many headliners there are, they have this. Monopoly, or if you look at um, a festival like Reading, that I personally think is like a, a great festival, and you look how many times a band like Foo Fighters have headlined Reading in the last sort of ten, fifteen years, that there's, there's, there are not enough big bands, and they and so do people really want to pay 150 quid to go see, you know, 15 of of the same bands they saw two years before or three years before, and there are there, there are a handful of bands that have a monopoly on headlining festivals. How important are festivals to the economics of a touring band these days? I think probably mass- massively important. I mean, without being too crass, we get paid a lot more to play festivals than we do to go play clubs, and that's why we go out and do so many of them and play in a lot of markets where you wouldn't otherwise get to, and you, so you're playing to people that wouldn't otherwise hear you. I think if you look at the broader picture, you're playing to people that wouldn't necessarily... You know, you're not just preaching to the converted, you're preaching to... Um, like a bunch of people that could potentially be converted and it's more of an evangelical sort of a touring life I think I sort of yeah it's I can't I, I think it's I think massively important but fun as well yeah can you effortlessly slip between your you know 50 minute festival set and your full-on headline set Our 50 without headline set <laughs> no you're not yeah <laughs> you're gonna have to do more than that at the O2 Justin <laughs> the prices they'll be charging for that yeah. you'll need more than 50 <laughs> We might end up having slash prices. <laughs> I think it's been um, a symptom of a crisis of identity that a lot of festivals have had because I think uh, from, a per- from a performance perspective, it must be quite nice to look at, you know, a, a kind of a, a set list of the lineup and know, you know, other bands that are playing that are in a similar vein to you and then know what your demographic is. I think that one of the problems has been is that there has been this fear, which you always get when terms like industry and decline are thrown around, where people try and bring everybody in you know and they'll have yeah but you look at something everybody. you know you look you look at atp i mean there's there aren't many festivals with a, a brand as strong as that there aren't many mm-hmm. that know uh, are as clearly defined and kind of know what they are as, as much as atp does and there you go voluntary liquidation although i guess you know one thing is if you're doing it um in a holiday camp and you've got the guarantees for the bands it's a lot more expense than it is putting up a stage in certainly a field, if you're bringing it? certainly if you're bringing over um, uh, american bands, yeah american which they always bands, are yeah. by their by yeah. their bazillion yeah I thought some of the best festivals this year were the London ones, Wireless and Hackney Weekender, just because I think that sort of on that part, they really, they understand the demographic, they understand who's being playlisted, they understand exactly and they just catered to it completely. They didn't, you know, they had Azealia and Nikki and Nas and Rihanna. I thought Hackney Weekend was Kanye. great. Yeah, actually. I thought yeah. it was just, it was just so well done because... They weren't, you know, they weren't trying to... How, how was you. the sound at Wireless? Because um, you'll be surprised to hear I didn't go to Wireless, but I, you'd be equally mm-hmm. unsurprised to hear that I did go to some of Hard Rock Calling. 
which was ruined completely for me by the fact that um, it sounded like it was coming out a pair of uh, MacBook speakers they do have turned a, they down. Do. I yes. think the dB limit's 100 or something No, it, like was, that. it was 72, apparently. Which is, which is less than any yeah. club. You, you could have, oh, you could have conversation, whispered yeah. conversations so heard, and be able to I heard hear that about clearly. the I heard that about the Blur gig that people were having. It was <laughs> conversations. I mean, it was disgraceful. I mean, Live Nation yeah. have withdrawn from Hyde Park for next year, although Hyde Park still intends to have um, events. I think AEG are taking on the promotion there but was wireless loud enough yeah i just i just think that it's never sounds as good as it could because of the nature of hyde park because it's so sprawling that when you're in the crowd there's you could just they're so far back that you can go so what you get is you know sort of miles and miles of people like really far back that could never really hear anything whereas at least with uh, hackney marshes which is where hackney weekend was there's only so far back you can go and then you can still hear everything pretty well so i just think it's sort of based on the, the they're actually really. they've they have moved it to a new site within Hyde Park, now, which might alleviate some of okay. those sound problems. Yeah. Well, further away from the very rich people of Park Lane. Is there any? Is, can you move further away from the? Very right, rich you can people. move to the rich people of another Yeah, the rich people of Knightsbridge. Now, aside from festivals, one of the other things that has intrigued me because it's not something I know a lot about is the rise of underground R&B and hip-hop, which seems to be far more prevalent than it has been. I mean, I, I would have thought that, you know, to most people who don't follow the music closely, you say R&B and people say, I don't know, Usher. And, of course, Climax was a big song this year. But also, you know, in the year-end lists, Miguel, Dawn Richard, uh, people like that have been getting a lot of love. Frank Ocean was the Guardian's album of the year. Uh, then on hip-hop, it feels like there's a new generation coming through. Kendrick Lamar's record, again, you know, fantastic record that was widely admired. And you've got people like Death Grips, which is incredibly confrontational stuff, getting signed and then dropped fairly quickly by a major label. Talk, tell us about some of the themes in, in that music, Kieran. Um, I think that the year in rap has definitely been one of diversity, which is uh, symptomatic of it being so mainstream. And I think that that's what happens when you suddenly feel like you have a voice, then you're allowed to then have genre classifications within that genre. So, you you know, at the beginning of the year, it was very much moving into sort of spacey, cloud rap you know that that kind of very laid back easy thing and then it moved into queer rap where we had rappers like Mickey Blanco who did one of the best hip-hop uh, mixtapes of the year Zebra Cats whose I'm a Reed was one of the hip-hop tracks of the year and then we saw and then kind of of course we saw Kendrick Lamar who you know was kind of this hark back to the golden year of the Compton rapper with Dre now everybody serenade the new faith of Kendrick Lamar this is King Kendrick Lamar, King Kendrick, and I meant it. My point intended is raw. Fix your lenses, forensics would have told you Kendrick had killed it. Pretend it's a massacre, and the mass is upon us. And I mastered being the master at dodging your honor. In the chapter that read at 25, I would live dormant like 5 in the morning. Then raise the spot while Kendrick's performing. And if they take everything, no, I got And then I think sort of moving through, seeing the, you know, the comeback if you want, of uh, Public Enemy releasing a new album and they're touring and touring again next year. Uh, has, has machismo become much less important in rap? Because I mean, it's in the themes you were drawing out there, queer rap, also women in rap as well. Oh, yeah, it's been such a huge year for women, for Iggy Azalea and um, Azealia Banks and Keila Kish and various women who have been making great songs. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think that it's just... 
it just hasn't been so self-parodying as it has been in previous years because it's been allowed to breathe it's been allowed to be a little bit more interesting and that's why I think the output um, in a lot of rap this year has been very warped and you know very strange because it's allowed to be it doesn't have to have this I mean of course Watch the Throne was you know one of the biggest hip-hop gigs of the year and you know was really well received but I don't think that it needs to kind of fall into that blueprint or those classic tropes of hip-hop just because um, our, our ears are how, how much different. of this stuff do you think is around to hear is around to stay or do you think some of it is you know I, I don't I'm not suggesting it's a fad more that you know fashions do move on you know say I mean take producer is, is Clams mm-hmm. Casino you're going to be a Dre someone who will dominate hip-hop sounds for 10 years or so okay this is the thing with the way that hip-hop and rap sounds have evolved this year is that I think that the general listener has become more attuned to production and is more tuned into how samples sound or how uh, hip-hop can translate into bass culture or into samples or into pro- club I, culture. I think production has become a massive part of it. If you, yeah. I, was actually, I was actually thinking, I was walking through a park yesterday and I had my iPod on random and, and, and gold digger came on mm-hmm. and i was thinking when was the last time there was a massive hip-hop tune mm-hmm. obviously like, i guess samples of that nature they've gone slightly out of fashion but it was when was when was something as catchy in hip-hop mm-hmm. like and i guess because production has become a lot more important hasn't it yeah i absolutely. think i think it's i think technology is a really interesting point and i think you were saying just now about people finding their voice and i think that you can kind of attribute the rise of underground hip-hop i would have thought to technology for people a people are finding a way to make music a lot more more easily you know there's the rise of the bedroom dj and stuff and then the way they distribute all, mm-hmm. all you have to do is put it up on youtube and it gets picked up by a blog the next day and then and then even the way people are discovering new music you know so i think that people have found a voice with technology haven't they and i think that's why as with any kind of genre or scene or whatever there'll probably be people that rise to the top and stay there for 10 15 years and there'll be others that won't i i imagine right i mean I- yeah the way that we've heard r and b be so kind of you know, penetrating club culture and, you know, the weirder side of club culture as well. People like Solange and, you know, Usher's Climax weren't really the most palatable songs. When I first heard them, I was like, that's really weird. But now it seems like, you know, it's fair game that you would hear that out. And I just think that, yeah, it's it's testament to, you know, the use of technology, the ear for production that we've had and the move away from those classic tropes of, you know, 4-4 beats, a catchy hook, you know, some kind of, you know, this sort of, self-parodying aesthetic of what it looks like to be a rapper you know doing his, I think it's becoming more artistic isn't it yeah absolutely and I think that's why it's exciting that's why it's yeah. exciting to write about it's why it's exciting to listen to and that's why it's far more exciting to watch a show of people doing stuff like that and that's your lot not just for this week but for 2012 thank you Justin for coming along thanks for having me thank you and thank you Michael always a pleasure Kieran Thanks for listening, and do leave your thoughts about Song of the Year or any other musical matter at guardian.co.uk forward slash musicweekly. And have a Merry Christmas. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.